This is Stigma, where we talk with leaders from many industries about how mental health and addiction have impacted their lives. Many people suffer silently from mental illness, addiction, depression, anxiety, and trauma. They never seek help because of stigma. In this podcast, host Stephen Hayes and his guests share their stories of recovery in order to encourage others to do the same. Here's Stephen. So welcome back to the Stigma Podcast, and thank you for listening. I'm joined today by Marie Shanley, and Marie is a mental health advocate, a science editor, talk show host, writer, yoga instructor. And after she experienced some mental health issues of her own a few years ago, she kind of made this vow that she would work to make sure no one ever felt as alone or scared or unprepared as she did during that that time in her life. So she has created a streaming channel. Um, she was on Twitch and now she's on Mixer, uh, where her focus is on providing resources, peer support, discussions, professional and personal interviews, and just talking and laughing and discussing the topic of mental health and you can find her her website, her streaming channels, social media accounts, all the things. You can find them in the show notes. I'll I'll have those posted. And Marie, thank you for coming on today. Oh my goodness. Thank you so much for having me on. Yeah, I'm I'm really excited to chat with you. I have enjoyed watching your streams, your videos. I've enjoyed the resources that you talk about. And I'm I'm excited to to learn more and to kind of dig in and to expose some of your insights to our audience. And I would love to start with maybe you sharing a little bit about your mental health journey, if you wouldn't mind. Absolutely. And and thank you. That's that's very kind of you to say all those sweet words about the show. It's <laughs> definitely it's the best work that I feel like I've done and I'm the most proud of. So thank you for those kind words. In terms of my mental health journey, I probably say it started when I was in college. I wasn't feeling well and I kept having these attacks where I would end up like curled up in a corner and crying and rocking back and forth because I kept feeling like like I kept seeing flashes from things that I'd experienced. And then uh, I would just cry and somebody would find me and kind of take me out of it. And then I learned that that is a symptom of PTSD. And so I was living, I was living with that without knowing what it was. And college really brought that out because I was finally living by myself and all of these like memories and, and everything I'd experienced in my adolescence was surfacing. Until finally one day, uh, the guy I was dating at the time was like, you have to go and talk to somebody and there's free therapy on campus. So you really don't have an excuse. You know, when you feel well, you don't feel inclined to cry and curl up in a ball in a corner. And so finally, I, I decided, okay, I guess if it, not that this could ever go away, but this is just life. But if I can go and talk to somebody about it, sure, maybe they can give me some tips on how I can cry less. That was my whole thinking. And uh, yeah, so I went into the office and so started my journey. Now that was 10 years ago. And that was when I first received my, like, my first diagnosis, which is depression, anxiety, OCD, and PTSD. Since then, I actually don't qualify for the diagnosis of OCD or PTSD. And uh, they've been replaced with ADHD, which is interesting and a separate note on you know, how our diagnoses evolve and aren't necessarily... Um, you know, labels that we slap on ourselves aren't necessarily what we are. This is great. I'm curious about that comment around the labels we slap on ourselves is why do we do that? Why do we just say, oh, I, ha I experienced trauma 
everybody experiences trauma. And so now I have to put this label on myself. It's not exactly what everybody does, right? But it's it's a it's a comforting thing for sure. I mean, I again, I was I went from sitting in a corner and crying and rocking back and forth and and feeling like I'm somewhere else to to knowing that that meant that I was not healthy, that that my mental state was not at its best, and that something could be done about it. And then I I definitely clung to that, thinking that this is this is the thing. This is. Uh, this is how you explain all these things that I've been doing that I knew, like, I definitely, you know, in your heart of hearts, like, this is probably not how you're supposed to be living. But this is how what I know. And this is what how, what I've known for a very long time. So this is probably normal. And so to take that label, it's, it's a way, it, it's not just a way to define ourselves. I mean, why we do it, because we need those definitions, we need to know where we stand in, in our in our society, we need to know where we stand in our kind of herd of animals that, that we are our human group. Right. Um, and so these these labels, whatever they might be, whether it's a diagnosis, whether it's the cool kid, the gosh, people still goths, I don't know, but uh, <laughs> uh, whatever it might be, I mean, it, it helps you feel like you belong in a place and it, and it helps you feel like you can explain yourself easier to people. And I mean, people, people expect a label from you, I feel like, right? I think so. And I, I yeah, I think they do or a mix of labels, you know, I right. think people, people expect us out of intellectual weakness. They expect us to summarize what we are into a couple of labels for them. Yeah. And I think that, I don't know, I don't, it's interesting because we have this identity. And yeah. the way we identify ourselves is with labels. I am Steven. I am from Texas and I work in this industry and I do these things and I'm married to right. this person and these are my kids and I live on the street. Those are all yep. labels and that's normal, right? And so, I don't right. know, I think with our mental health, it's interesting. It's like, I don't know, maybe our brain, our brain obviously changes over time. So I guess labeling it while it's improving or changing is a little bit hard. It is, but it's also, it's also great, right? Like some of us, I personally went through a little scenester kid phase in high school. And like, I don't necessarily dress like that right now, but that was a label that I held that I no longer hold, right? Uh, definitely walk around as now as part of the geek community and, and probably so. But the point is like, that's another label that I have now that I've grown out of. And we get different, there's different health diagnosis. When people start arguing about like, you are not your illness. I totally, totally get what they're coming from. And I'm one of those people that says that you are not your illness and you are so much more. But I do totally uh, also understand the perspective of I stand and this is this is part of me. And this is something that I do. This is something that I can use to explain myself. It's an adjective that puts us all on common ground. And when we talk about diagnoses in general, I mean, they're just literally there so that two doctors can know the same thing, right? If right. I tell a doctor I have depression, they know that it's probably a subset of these specific things that now they can treat uh, versus just saying, I cry a lot, <laughs> right? Please nobody at me on Twitter telling me that depression is more than crying. That's, that's not the point. But yeah, I think there's definitely, there's definitely a purpose for them. And so I, like I've seen movements to completely abolish diagnoses. And I understand why, because people will take their diagnosis, kind of wear it as a shield and wear it as their personality and wear it as this is what defines me. This is why I act this way. Uh, this is my sometimes excuse, unfortunately, you know, to, to do something. And I could see that that being more harmful than helpful. 
Uh, but overall, I, you know, there's a place for them. Like you said, I mean, whether you're, it's your street name or, or whatever it is, like they're all little communities. They're all labels that we need. Yeah, I have this issue around identity sometimes because I, I go to AA meetings. And mm-hmm. in the AA meetings, you know, we always introduce ourselves as, hi, I'm Steven, I'm an alcoholic, blah, 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 blah. And I kind of take issue with that because, I mean, I do it because that's the norm in that yeah. group, but I take issue with it because I've, I'm not an alcoholic, in my opinion, today. I was, and oh. I could easily be one again. And if I don't deal with my mental health in a certain way, there are neuropathways in my brain that will, that will lead me to say, mm, I just felt trauma or pain. And I'm going to go down that highway to the solution of to release dopamine in my brain, which is to drink. And mm-hmm. so I have to actively combat that on a daily basis. But I don't do that on a daily basis. You know, when I was in high school, I was a swimmer. I was in really great shape. But now I'm a, you know, o- overweight 40 year old man. I am in no <laughs> way, shape or form a swimmer today because I did it in my past. So just because I used to do this thing, why do I have to identify myself as it today? Yeah. I mean, that's a, that's a very good point. I don't know that a lot of people, I could see how that applies absolutely to your scenario, but I don't know that in a lot of other scenarios with diagnoses that that applies, right? Like, yeah, maybe not. You can't necessarily, I I don't know a lot of people that could say, uh, you know, I have bipolar disorder and then say, and then have to continue saying that they have the bipolar disorder, even though they don't. But in the case of AA, you're totally right. I've never thought of it that way. Is that you just, you continue calling yourself an alcoholic, even though the whole point is that you're, you're not, you, you're trying to remove that label from yourself. It's and, I, and I get it. And I, I, I go along Absolutely. with it, but I, I, I'm also type one bipolar and that's a label. And I say it that way. And some people say it a little differently. They say, I demonstrate these behavior characteristics or, and that falls on this spectrum in this place. And I, I don't really ever feel like saying that much. So I just say, yeah, I'm bipolar. And I take lithium and it is what it is. And that's my label. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. I, yeah, I, I agree with you. It's going to be a little tough for maybe mental illnesses. One question that did come up for me when you were describing getting help and what you got help for, it sounded like you got to the point where there was almost like a tragedy or disaster. I mean, you were in oh, a, in a, on the floor in, a, in, a, in the corner crying. Is there anything that could have led you to get help sooner? Uh, no, I don't think so. I mean, I had tried to get help sooner than that but I didn't take it seriously. Like I went to uh, a psychiatrist once before and I went, I went to, I tried to go to a therapist when I was in high school, like they had the school counselor and I tried to talk to her and I just didn't get anything positive out of it. And I was like, this is bullshit. And then I had went to a psychiatrist and they were just like, I think you have this disorder. And I don't want to mention it just because uh, like it, it's nothing against the disorder. It's just like, this does not apply to me what you're describing. Uh, yeah, I've, you're, you've met me for 30 minutes and you're going to slap this label on me exactly to, you know, to your previous point. Like, I don't agree with this. And I walked out of there and then I had went to, I started college at actually a different school than the one I ended in. I ended up transferring out. But the college that I started in, I had been, I had been having suicidal thoughts and anybody who's lived through that knows that they're absolutely terrifying. And I went into there, somebody was like, Oh, if you keep thinking about that, you should go and talk to a therapist at the school. So I went and did that. And she told me, she's like, yeah, I can't. And I'm sitting there crying. I remember in her office, as I described what's going on, she goes, I can't help you. You need to go across the street to this building, to this office, and they might be able to help you there. And I, and I was like, well, I mean, I don't think I'm going to do anything, but I would like to 
to just talk about how I feel. And she was like, yeah, but if you feel that way, I really can't do anything for you. And I was like, oh, that was an awful feeling. And I almost now understand why she did that. But she turned me away at like the worst time. And when I and I still don't understand what kind of policy that was because was, she was a therapist. She, they were PhD counselors. So I, I still don't know what that was. Um, yeah, I hope that school has better better stuff now. Yeah, I don't, <laughs> I'm, I'm discouraged to hear that. But, you know, something that comes up around the idea of suicidal thoughts, I I feel like it's one of these really stigmatized topics where oh my gosh, yeah. you just, I mean, if you admit that you've, you're having these thoughts, people, it's like the, the world will crash down upon you. It, you people yeah. feel, I, I don't, there may be other topics that I'm, not, I'm blanking on right now, but I feel like it's one of the hardest things to go say, hey, I've had this happen. I, I thought about this. I considered this. Yeah. I, it's really interesting to me because I, I had been through quite a few, like, you know, I'm describing my experiences and then I, I ended up finding a, a, a good therapist at school. And then I actually had to transfer therapist just because like she left because she was a like an understudy. So over the course of time, if you've been in, in therapy for, for 10 years, you've changed therapists. And it was just my last therapist after uh, you know, probably seven years of therapy, just my last therapist when I was describing to her what suicidal thoughts are, that she had said, well, they're just thoughts. Every other time that I had described that I'm having these thoughts, the alarm would go on. Uh, like I, I, at one point I went to the hospital over it and I, I don't blame anybody. And I don't think necessarily that that was like the wrong thing to do or anything like that. But it was, what my point is, is that the alert was so raised that I, I think it scared me more. And then it made me feel like this other thing. And that, what I was doing, like it was so abnormal, what was wrong with me. And it was the worst thing that could possibly be happening. And so like, let's turn on the fire alarm. And I remember sitting at the hospital and I explained like, I don't actually want to do anything. I, I just have these thoughts and they're very disturbing and scary. And they signed me out. And it, it was like a very bizarre experience. But the whole situation surrounding like saying, I'm having these thoughts. Again, no therapist dove into, hey, they're just thoughts. Let's describe why you're having them, what you're going to do about them. Are you in danger to yourself? No. Okay, then we could talk through this instead of, you know, going to DEFCON 5 here. Yeah. Or it's DEFCON 1, right? The DEFCON system is the opposite. I'm not really sure how that works. But what I I do know (laughs) is that if you... If you're in a position in your life where you're feeling anxiety or depression and you want to go talk to somebody about it and then you walk in and say, by the way, I've had these ruminations or these thoughts or these considerations. And then all of a sudden they're going to make your life harder because they're going to put you on some kind of lockdown or put you in a hospital somewhere that prevents people from getting help. So I think the stigma around suicidal ideation needs to be there's some work we have to do as a society there. That's exactly it, is that it's it's work. It's retraining professionals to not just go immediately to the highest alert and, you know, maybe assess, really assess the situation. And I think just because like we're a, we're a country of insurance and lawyers and lots of suing. And so I can imagine that's not changing anytime soon just because of that. Right. That'll never change. Your butt's on the line. Somebody told you I have suicidal ideation. Your butt's on the line with that lawyer now. I'm going to send them off to the hospital. I don't even want to hear what else they're saying. Yeah. So one thing that comes to mind for me when you you talk about getting help and and such 
and I know the community you've built and I want to get into that. So where, where, where do you find support for the things that you are working through and have worked through? Is it, do you see a psychiatrist? Do you see a therapist? Do you go to any group sessions? Is it, do you rely on your online community a lot for support? Like what's your support network look like? So to answer that, I kind of want to dive back and and go through what it didn't look like before and the difference between how I feel now and what I felt like when I didn't have a support network. In like 20, I want to say 2015, 2014, I went through my first bout of like, like, I actually almost committed suicide and it was a terrible time. And looking back then, I had no network. I had just estranged myself from my parents, which... I have not, that relationship has not changed and I don't regret it, but I had just removed myself from my parents because they're toxic people. And I had one very close friend and then I had my now husband at the time, boyfriend, and that was it. And I really didn't feel like I could talk to anybody else about this issue. And that was, that was me at my lowest. And at that, that's the point where I said to myself, if I ever feel better, I want to make sure nobody ever feels as alone and as just scared and unprepared for this moment as I am right now. This is this is miserable. And uh, so what ended up happening is that I slowly built out a network um, first through actually, uh, so I have a Corgi. And for those people, maybe some people know, but some states have Corgi meetup groups. One of those meetup groups in my state happened and it saved my life at one oh, point. Wow. Yeah. And it's so I, I attribute a lot of like my joy in, in life to these dogs. Like that sounds like such a, I mean, dogs bring us a lot of joy, period. But uh, it was the group of people that like that what united us originally was that we we're all Corgi owners. And then we were people, right? So then we, some of us became closer friends and I finally felt like I had a network that I could fall back on, that I could talk to if something was going on. I didn't feel like I had to go through anything alone. And that kind of gave me the courage to start thinking about creating that kind of network on a different scale because it's still, I mean, even in a big group of people, you could talk about, oh, I feel this way and oh, I'm really sad today. And that's very different than being able to say like, oh, I... I felt so sad today that I wished I disappeared. Yeah. You know, and not everybody can handle that conversation and that was still something that I that I thought was missing. And so I slowly you know, I created the website. I at the time I was in a very toxic job uh, where I was working 14 hours a day and overworking myself and not going to therapy. And I like I was skipping therapy and I didn't need medication and I was totally pushing through everything. And it's just a terrible idea, guys. Nobody follow my lead. So I decided that I was going to build the thing that I didn't see, which is what I was seeing a lot when I go look for help was either a lot of people on my end So that's like patients, right? Either patient, either seeing a doctor or just people who are, who felt mentally unhealthy. And so I would see like Facebook groups of just a bunch of people complaining to each other about how they're feeling. And then I would join a professional group where a bunch of psychologists would be exchanging ideas about what they could do for their patients. But then nobody was in the middle connecting those people. And I, I, I mean, I can go on a kind of side ramble here. I feel like that's one of the problems we have right now, right? In these, these tech bubbles that we live in, right? Like Twitter segregates you to uh, these kinds of people that they know you're interested in. Google will give you answer, you know, all those algorithms that end up putting you in these like little bubbles. I don't even know where I was going with that. It, it's interesting how you got there. And it, where we started was support system. And I, I think, yes. you know, you've, 
there's all these social support systems that you've defined really well. And then I was also curious, if, you know, what support systems do you have medically, if you if that's the right way to say it, like psychiatrist, therapist, like what do you do regularly? Right. Do you and then also individually? I mean, is there a routine that you have meditation, et cetera? Like what what do you do to kind of manage your mental yes. health? OK, definitely going to get get through that. But I remembered the connection to sure, everything. Sure. And that is we're all in these like segregated pieces. I felt like there wasn't somebody in the middle connecting the psychiatrist, the psychologist, psychiatrist with the people who needed help because the people who needed help were relying, uh, you know, it was like the blind leading the blind kind of relying on other people to talk about their experiences. And then the professionals were talking amongst each other with their professional experiences, but nobody was in the middle connecting the language in between the two and saying like, here's professional resources for people to apply that might not necessarily be able to see uh, a professional at the moment, but either it's a holdover or to get them to understand that it's okay to see a professional. So, so that's, that's where the whole idea of creating that community, that's where I wanted to create community around. So in terms of what I do now, first of all, I have the community that I've created first on Twitch, now on Mixer. And that's incredible, right? That's a, that's a network Absolutely. of people that live through the same stuff that I do. And a lot of our experience, and I say the same stuff, but a lot of our experiences will never exactly be the same. I mean, I we have all kinds of people from all walks of life and for dealing with all kinds of uh, issues and just invisible illness, period. It's not just for people who are dealing with mental health issues. And so that's fantastic. Seeing, like, seeing that I can connect with somebody in Germany over just the human right. condition. That's amazing. And then the stuff that I do outside of that, that was also learned through years and years of therapy of you have to commit to this. You can't just just go through a little bout and then maybe think you're going to be better. That that might stick, but probably not in the long term. Finally getting to your answer. The long term stuff is I, yeah, so I'm a yoga instructor because I've been doing yoga for seven years now. And so I finally pulled the trigger and was like, I should teach people because it's so I found it so helpful for my mental health. I walk around telling everybody about how mental health is important. Why don't I help people connect their bodies to their mental health? So I became a yoga instructor. I'm not one of those people that can meditate unless I've just done yoga or went for a mile run or something like I I'm, admire that my husband's one of those people and I admire him deeply for being able to do that. But alas, not me. But I do, I will go for runs. I have a list, a running list of things that I know help me on a day to, like, that make a decent day, not the best day ever, but just a decent day, which is stuff that I know will make a, a good day for me. So that's for me, that's walking my dog, uh, reading a book. And then I go through those lists uh, when I'm not feeling well and, and make sure that I accomplish at least one or two of those things and see if I feel a little bit better. So running, hanging out with my dog is a, is a really, really big one. Um, making sure that I reach out to people who I know I can talk to, that, that community is part of it. Professional, in terms of professionals, I have a therapist that I see at least once a month. Uh, and then if, if I'm going through a hard time, we increase the appointments, but otherwise it's once a month. Psychiatrist, I see at least once every three months because medication doesn't 
really, once you found the medication you you know that works for you, it doesn't right. really change much. So I have that and that, and then I have now I have this really really badass network of professionals that I could just reach out to and talk about things. Not that I can like ask them like, hey, I'm feeling this way, can you give me advice? But I can ask them, hey, if somebody is going through X Y Z, what are some resources you could send them? And they'll be like, oh, this is the stuff that works for me, so you can offer that to this person and. Obviously, that helps me as well. So while I'm helping somebody else, I'm helping myself. And it's awesome to have a network of those people also at my disposal to help others as I'm helping myself. Absolutely. And one of the things that you mentioned in your profile and that you kind of mentioned here now is resources. And Mm -hmm. I was wondering if you could tell me a little bit about what resources do help you or what resources you tend to uh, suggest to others when you when you do so. So I have to put the disclaimer out there that everybody's different. So when people usually ask me for resources, I always have a hard time around this just because it depends on you, right? You have to figure out what your resources are for you, what's going to help you. And you can only do that through trial and error. And I can suggest a few things based on maybe if I know you a little bit better, or uh, if you tell me a little bit about your hobbies, or, you know, maybe the specific situation in terms of, you know, a resource, I'm going through a breakup, I can kind of pinpoint you to a resource there better than if you just say, I'm feeling sad. Um, or I'm feeling anxious. So is the the community you have online for people who don't understand, what if I were just to come into your your chat in your stream one night and say in there, hey, this is what's going on. Then what happens? How, how do I get embraced by your community and find my way to resources? Well, the first thing that will happen if you come in and you say, I'm going through a really tough time, the first thing that'll happen is about 25 people will tell you, hey, it's okay, you're not alone. That's awesome. And, and that... Yeah. And that alone, I feel like has so much value. And talk about AA. I mean, that's that's a similar feeling, right? Is walking into a room and seeing other people experiencing the same thing and being like, you're going to be okay. This is rough, but you're going to be okay. We're going to help you feel less alone. We're going to help you feel less like the world is ending or less desperate, less, you know, all those things that make people do rash things. The first thing that will happen is you'll come in and a bunch of people will tell you that you matter and that they're glad to see you and that they're honored that you're they're, you're sharing your story with them. Um, and then after that, it depends on like what you describe, right? I might say there are situations where I might say off the bat, hey, oh, this is probably most of them where I will say you need to talk to a professional. However, you need to do that, you know, whether you find a therapist with, through a sliding scale, here's a, here is a link on my website that'll help you get to therapists and that tells you where you can find uh, affordable therapists or therapists who are doing free work, who are who like need training. So yeah, I have a link on my site where I will send people that like that to. But if somebody comes in and they say, hey, I have trouble sleeping, that is something that I can easily be like, oh, you know what really helps me? Uh, totally a plug for Target. I just bought a weighted blanket and it was amazing. And I could, you know, describe that experience and not say, you know, you should go buy a weighted blanket because that's not like I can't, I'm not, I'm not, I can't prescribe anything to you and assume that it will work. But I can tell you in my experience, this thing has helped me a lot. And maybe that's something you could try. And I usually don't like saying one thing alone. I like saying, you know, uh, I do, I do this and make sure you put your phone away and at least offer like two or three pieces that of things that I know have helped me. 
And then I usually ask everybody in the community to say, hey, what's helped you? Have you ever felt this way? And then people contribute. And that's that. That's where that sense of community comes in. And that's where you feel less alone. And you feel like your problems are not 40,000 miles wide. Right. They're, you know, they're human problems, which means that they they can be addressed. And so with your community, what's it like streaming and talking about mental health? As, as a gamer, as someone who's invested a lot in the esports community, I was an investor in Optic Gaming. I know the gaming community. I know what toxicity looks like. I know what oh, it's like boy. to be on League of Legends. I know. I mean, I played this morning. So I am curious, is there toxicity around the mental health topic in the streaming community? I mean, and how do you deal with it? There definitely is. I mean, trolls be trolls. You just ban them. You move on. Uh, Mixer has great reporting tools so you can report a troll for if they use very offensive verbiage that there's no coming back from. You can report them and, and let them know that, the, hey, this account is not cool. They said this word or they, you know, they were very derogative or whatever it might be. So, you know, once you weed that, you know, literally the garbage, you take the garbage out, right? Then you have usually people who come in and who are like, some people might come in, they're just uncomfortable talking about mental health. So they'll start with like a really awkward, dumb joke. Like, oh, yeah, I have depression. I'm just gonna, I just need to be more positive. And you're like, (laughs) Okay, no. Do you want me to disprove that? Or do you want to feel like, what are you going for here? And you kind of have to dig around and see. Usually people, if you joke back or something, usually people drop that and they're like, no, but seriously, I'm going through a hard time and I just didn't know how to talk about it. Right. And so those people definitely come in. And then otherwise, and this is kind of slightly an issue of its own, People who are not ready to talk about mental health are not the people who are going to speak up in a chat about mental health. Right. And so it's an issue because you, of course, I want more and more people in this conversation, but it's also totally understandable. How prevalent is the topic of mental health broadly, whether it's mental health or whether it's addiction on streaming platforms? And then where I'm going with this is I feel like Twitch and Mixer have this really interesting platform where they could recreate digital AA. They could recreate digital support groups really easily. So I'm kind of curious, like how big is the mental wellness community on on Twitch or Mixer in general? I mean, they do. I I would say that my community is very much like a digital AA. It's very much that. It's nobody is curing you, nobody, but people are describing their experiences. I don't have any steps for you to go through, but it's, it's, you know, there's definitely support and uh, I will send you to a doctor who will tell you then, okay, let's maybe do CBT and here are the steps that you're going to take. You know, I can tell you from there, or I can tell you what CBT is going to look like. I can describe that to you so that you can make the decision whether or not you're going to go to a therapist about it at all. But in terms of like how big it is, I wish it was bigger. That's that's the only that's the only thing I could say. I mean, there are quite a few people who have stepped up to the plate now who are absolutely fantastic who go on Twitch. Um, Mixer not so much, which I'm kind of proud that I decided to stomp that ground. Even though I have two years worth on Twitch and everything that I invested there, I wanted to move over onto a new platform and and really try to take the reins and and start something new in a relatively new space. But on Twitch, there's there's quite a few people who are willing to talk about this. Um, we have Dr. Mick Live. We have uh, Dr. Gurner, Dr. Julie Gurner. Oh, there's a bunch that I, I'm not thinking about right now. And then there's a bunch of advocates. 
But how big are their communities? They're definitely some of the smaller communities on Twitch. These are not the people that are getting hundreds and thousands of views. These are not people who are getting even hundreds of views. These are people who come in and really want to make a difference. And so they will talk, whether there's five people in their chat or three people in their chat, and and try to make sure that those people know that they're not alone and try to help as much as possible. So that's awesome. I, I think it'll grow. I think it'll grow a lot. Yeah, I think so. I, there's a huge need for it, but it's still a difficult topic for people to dive into. And I have to continuously remind myself that because I'm turning around in it every day. And this is my focus. And this is my topic. And uh, like, again, I go on Twitter and every Everything around me is about mental health because once again, right, we're in that like Twitter's created a mental health bubble for me. But outside of that, people still have a hard time talking about this stuff. And so the more people are on the platform and the more people are, like you said, I I think it's going to grow, but there's a stigma surrounding it. So the stigma has to die down for it to continue growing, but for it to continue growing, more people have to be willing to go in while there's stigma. So it's a it, it's a tough loop to break out Where of. Where do you start breaking down stigma? Like, what do we have to do? What can we be doing as individuals? And where what do we have to do as a society to change uh, or continue to see change in the reduction of stigma. It's something that's incredibly important, and we do it simply by talking about it. And there are healthy and unhealthy ways to talk about it. The first step, if I were to say, like, give me, give me, like, give me step one. Step one would be admit that you have experienced some kind of a mental health issue, and that's, and then roll from there. Yeah. Whatever that means to you. I like that. And I agree. I think it's talking about it. I think the more the, the more people who talk about it, it's like a self-perpetuating cycle. Mm-hmm. The more people who talk about it, the more people talk about it. So uh, I think I think I think you're right. And I, I really like the way you said that. And one of the things you said though also was that it's kind of difficult to dive into this topic. And you know, you've been really, really open. I mean, you've you've shared a lot, uh, not just today, but just co- you consistently do. And what will it take to get somebody to go from I'm not going to tell anybody I've got this problem to being willing to at least even mention it, whether that's getting help or whether that's even sharing their story? Like what's standing in the way of that first step? And just kind of like a deeper follow up to that last question about stigma, really. The difference between my opening up about it as much as I have and hiding and being by myself and dealing with my suicidal thoughts and and nearly ending my life, the difference was a community. Uh, You need to be in a group of people where you will feel like you're not going to be chastised. And then that empowers you to go and talk to people where you might not get the best reaction immediately. But you definitely you need to start in a in a safe space. And then you definitely won't find a safe space everywhere. So you're gonna, you know, you're gonna have to grow a little bit tougher skin as you go through it. But you need to start in a safe space for sure. I agree with that. I mean, I, I started in rehab, and I got comfortable sharing my story. And as I shared my story, the shame that I felt decreased. And then when I went out into yes. the real world, I was okay telling my story because I had reduced my own shame so much that I really wasn't my problem if you had a negative reaction to my story at that point. And I felt like that I got yes. to a really healthy place and it took a lot of work to get there. Yeah, but it, that's exactly it. You got to that place because you've talked about it enough times where people said, oh, okay, that's cool. Or that's happened to me too. Or I felt that way too. That's the biggest difference, right? Like we react to negative stimuli very, very strongly. So if we have a negative reaction 
from somebody when we start talking about mental health, the chances of us diving deep into that again are, are very slim just by human nature. But every positive reinforcement that you get, the more likely you are to continue talking about it until you feel confident enough in the skin, in the, in the space that you're taking up in that area that you're like, oh, I don't need your approval. I have had enough positive experience with this that I know that it's important for me to talk about it and you go from there. Yeah, that's exactly right. That's incredible, actually. I only have, really have one more thing to ask you about, and that's I love to ask people this, which is proactive versus reactive mental health and tr- taking care of yourself. And like, I know that you're proactive about your about your mental health because you've built a community around mental health. So I'm just curious, and I know you don't meditate, so you don't use those apps, but <laughs> do you have any tools that you use on a daily or weekly or monthly basis to measure anything or to track anything or to track your mood? Or is there anything that you, you know, on your, any apps on your phone that you use to manage your own mental health? Absolutely. Uh, In terms of proactive or reactive, that is a freaking fantastic question. And I think until before I hit my bottom point, it was very reactive. And it was very like, oh, I'll deal with it when I have to. And then I when I had to, it was kind of too late, right? You get to a very dark place to a very uh, hard spot to climb out of. Uh, So I do believe that the preventative is just definitely the way to go. And for a long term, if you're looking for a long term solution, you're going to have to keep working at it. Unfortunately, you can't just work at it and then shut it off. But yeah, so one of the biggest things that I always shout out that I really wish they'd get in touch with me because they're they're I use their app daily is Dailyo. Absolutely phenomenal. D-A-Y-L-I-O. What it allows you to do is you can input things that you do daily you can track those things. So at the end of the day, or whenever you tell it, it can pop, gives you a little pop up and says, what did you do today? And you check off your activities. And you and, and that's kind of part of that list that I mentioned at the very beginning, like you kind of figure out what your activities are day to day, right? I went to work, I went to shop, I walked my dog, I socialized with somebody. So like, you know, common things that happen to you. So then you check off on this, uh, on this app, every day, the things that you've accomplished, and you decide whatever those things are for you. After a while, it gives you a grid and you're able to say, huh, every day that I meditated, I had a good day. Every day that I read, I ended up having a really good day. But every day that I didn't sleep well, I definitely had a bad day. I need to work on my sleeping habits. And that changed a lot for me. The other thing that was awesome about it is that I was able to bring it to my therapist because again, I see her once a month. So it's a lot harder for me to then track my moods and tell her, yeah, I think I had a good month. Yeah, I think I had a bad month. I'm able to literally pull up a graphic now and say, this is what my month was like. And she will look at it and be like, oh, it's a lot of green or hey, it's a lot of uh, blue is my designated like bad depression color. She's like, it's a lot of blue or it's even a lot of black. And uh, and then we talk about it and we talk about, you know, what happened maybe during those days. Do you remember? And I mean, there's a lot of issues with recall in general that we have. So it's a lot better to rely on on your own data to to give a complete picture to your therapist. So all around that app, I think for me was a huge just like life changer. So that's why I talk about it so extensively. 
I don't meditate much, but my husband daily uses Headspace and I don't think he could live without it. Like he really, really enjoys it. I have my podcast that I listen to that I know like that's part of my daily stuff that I feel like nourishes me and keeps me thinking about things instead of just being complacent in some way. And so do you want me to list the podcast? Ooh, I'd I love that. <laughs> yeah, that'd be great. <laughs> One of my favorites is Armchair Expert with Dak Shepard, where he will invite celebrities on and then he doesn't like therapize anybody, even in an armchair expert kind of way, but they kind of deep dive in why do we do the things we do? Why do we react the way we react to? Like, why did you take these steps in your career to get to where you are? So I find that to be super fascinating. Then I really enjoy Science Versus because they're small tidbits of powerful, helpful information. Then I'm trying to think, I'm trying to think of a few, a few more. You know, you could throw Stigma podcast in there if you're really hungry. Oh, yeah. I don't know if you guys heard about that one. That one's a really, really good one. Chelsea Handler's Life Will Be the Death of Me is also another one where she deep dives just like into life stuff. I have the stuff that really, oh, The Hilarious World of Depression. Oh my goodness, what a great piece of work that is. That's amazing. And uh, and then there's just stuff that like is just nourishing to me. Like I, I really love Science Rules with Bill Nye and uh, Radiolab and Star Talk because I, I love space and Neil deGrasse Tyson. Ooh, that's cool. I'm going to check that. I, I didn't even know that existed. I'll check that out for sure. What? Oh my God. You are in for a bolt of treats. It's so I'm good. a Cosmos fan, so I will definitely check that out. Oh my gosh. Yeah, you'll love it. What, um, so speaking of tools and apps and podcasts, what doesn't exist that you think would be helpful to have in terms of managing your mental health? I mean, app, a tool, a technology. Mm. People have come up with some awesome stuff. Like I've seen apps with group therapy that I think are amazing, that I think have done a really good job. Uh, Hug a group is one that I, I, I don't know if they ever ended up taking off, but they were fantastic. But I'm very focused on bringing live streaming and mental health together. So I really can't think of anything outside of that box necessarily. But that's what I want to see is I want to see a better intersection of good, uh, reliable mental health conversations, because a lot of people can open up and talk about their experience. But talking about your experience productively is not the same as just it's very important to tell your story. But if you are going to come on, you know, a live stream and day in and day out, just kind of talk about yourself and how your day sucks or how you're feeling, that's not productive anyway, right? That's not what we do in a therapist's office. That's not what we, what we do in, in group therapy. So, so making sure that those resources are available and live streaming in particular is awesome because like you said, I pop into a chat, I say I'm not feeling well, either I get sent, hey, you need to talk to the suicide hotline ASAP, right? This is not the stream for you. You need to step away and go and talk to somebody or you end up being embraced. And having that space that is live where people can come in and then get the avenue that they need for their next steps, I think is super important. So that's what I'm focused on right now. Great. Well, that's that's awesome. And I'm really grateful that you came and joined me today and that we were able to have this conversation. I think there's a lot here that people will find helpful. And I, I'm really grateful that you took the time to do it. And I'm certain that people will find something helpful in here. There's so many different things. We talked a lot about depression, anxiety, ADHD. We talked about resources. We talked, oh man, there's so much good stuff here. Yeah, so good. really, good. really grateful that you did it. So thank you for coming on. Thank you so much for having 
having me. This is this has been fantastic. Thank you for asking all those questions that really made my noodles sink. Thank you. Well, I'm I'm glad, and I I can't wait to get this out there and 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 get people's feedback on it. So thank you very much. That's it for today's episode of the Stigma Podcast. Really grateful to Marie for coming on. I really enjoyed our conversation. I think that everybody can find something in this episode for them. To our listeners, thank you for being here. Would really appreciate a like, a review, some love on iTunes uh, or any podcast platform where you listen. And you can give us feedback. You can reach out to us. You can interact with us on Twitter at StigmaCast or on our website, StigmaPodcast.com. And we will link all of Marie's contact information and her, her stream and everything else in the show notes. And thank you for being here. 